Got Your Ears On is brought to you by Tactical Legion 9. Alright everybody, hello and welcome to this week's episode of Got Your Ears On. Guido here along with Scoop. Yo, yo, yo. And Johnson. It's a special bi-week guest edition, Guido. Yes, special bi week guest edition. You know, we like to bring on guests when uh, we don't have losses. I mean, games to talk about. So uh, we're excited to have back from the smokymusket.com at Nightstare on your Twitters, Jake Lance, an all around good guy. Jake, thanks for being back on the show. We appreciate it. Hey, thanks, guys. Wearing my blue hat for you this time, not my yellow one. Nice. I like that. That's, that's, Guido, that's good. Uh, Guido, Jake is here, I like the obviously. He's he's here obviously to talk about uh, his preference for Chipotle over Kudoba and his abhorrence of all gold uniforms. I mean, I, like I'm sure that's what he's here to talk about. Absolutely. There's, I mean, because we've already done the climb, so we might as well talk about the food at the top of the hill, right? Is that right? what we're doing? Exa- I mean, exactly. Listen, if if Chipotle is at the top of this mountain, I don't want to go up anyway. So I'll just stay where I'm at. Uh, agreed, agreed, agreed. Um, so anyways, Jake, yeah, thanks for being on. Obviously, it's uh, it's kind of a tough season for WVU. I think expectations were high and by, from a lot of people, especially fans. Uh, expectations were high. Those expectations are not being met. And, uh, you know, Jake, I guess, just, I guess start with like sort of like an overall sort of how do you feel about this team and where we're at right now? How do I feel about this team? I feel like we should be better. And I think the hardest part is that just like in previous years, you can make the argument that we are one play away. We are two plays away from being four and one. Right. And so that gives you hope and hope in year one, hope in year two is good. Hey, we're, we're, we're close, right? We clean this up and we'll, we'll be better. Hope in year four when that's all you have, because there are no results to, back up your hope is tough. Um, coming into the season, you kind of looked at it and went five-star QB, senior defensive line, junior, senior, sophomore, you know, 129 plus starts on the offensive line, um, junior, senior, three-year starters at receivers. There's experience up and down the roster experience is supposed to equal wins in college football. You know, when you have, that's what we saw in 2018. That's what we saw in 2016. That's what we saw in 2012 for the part. Um, Experience is supposed to equal wins and it's not. So it, it, like most fans, it's frustrating. It's tough, you know, because you kind of look at it and you go, they're so close. Catch the ball, you know, catch the ball on third down and moves it to first down. And now we're not having the punt and we're not giving the ball away, you know, be ready for whatever play coming out of the kickoff. Like you should already know you're running a, an off tackle run. Why do we have to call a timeout again? Um, why are we not generating a pass rush? Just all of those things that are supposed to be questions in year one that are still here in year four are very tough. So it's just, it's tough. It's frustrating. It's it's not fun. Yeah, we we could tell after the Texas game uh, from your your post game article that, that you wrote. You're a bit salty. There was a lot of like you know uh, not uh, you know non climb esque talking in your uh, and like I think Scoot was the one who said it last week. There was just like screenshots like of just bad plays on, in the in the article. Right. Um, like here's a bad play. Take a look. I guess the question is is like. Okay, so like you said, everything was supposed to be there. The parts are supposed to be there. So the team But wait a minute, is, he had to deal with COVID. But, but wait yes, a minute. I know. The, the excuses there. are there too. The excuses are there too. Portal. But the team scoot transfer. Yeah, but wait portal. a minute. But the transfer portal. But the team is lost, right? Like so who's lost that I guess that's my question. Is where's the team lost? Is the team is Neil Brown lost the team? Is Jordan Leslie lost the defense? Like where I guess I'm I'm trying to figure out where's the problem. I guess the buck always stops with Neil Brown, but like where's the problem? Yeah, the the buck definitely stops with the coach, uh, and you know, to his credit, he has said that. Um, 
you know, unfortunately this year it's the defense and the defense is not holding up their end of the bargain, especially with the players that they brought in, the players that they have, the defensive coordinator that they have. Um, but in more so, I think the thing that has irritated me the most, and it really irritated me last year and it has infuriated me this, this year is the fact that you have heard at least twice this year and you heard it at least three times last year. Well, they did something we hadn't seen on film before. And to me, that's a preparation thing. You know, that is a, so what? Like when I played football and when I've coached kids, you know, the very first thing you teach them is a base cover two on defense. Okay. The safeties go high. Your, your corners go outside. Your middle linebackers drop back. Okay. Play base cover two or heck play a base cover three if that's what you want to do. But like, a team motions or a team puts out a, you know, an extra receiver or pulls the tight end or puts the guard out, you know, whatever, whatever they do. And, and our guys are just like, well, what are you doing? I'm like, I don't know. What are you doing? I don't know well, who's on first. I don't know what's on second. And it's just one of those things where you're going, why are you not just calling an audible to a base defense, letting them pick up three yards, seeing what they did, coming back and saying, okay, we saw what they did out of this. This is how they're running it. Now we know, you know, go, go to, you know, man blitz too or whatever, yeah. whatever you're called. Yeah. I, I, I agree, Jake. And don't you think that, don't you think that's what put such a sour taste in everyone's mouth here after Texas? Like not so much. I mean, look, the score was bad enough, but we had what nine days to prep for that Texas game. And I think I didn't go in thinking we need to go in there and, and manhandle the longhorns or something. I mean, Texas is good. It, the, as a, a general aside though, isn't it funny that I haven't decided how good I think Texas is because of how much of a mess I think we and Oklahoma are. Isn't that kind of funny that I still don't, I'm still not sure. But anyway, I think they're very good. And I, and I think that I would have been like able to get my head around, Hey, you, you got, you know, you got beat up a little bit and you lost to Texas, but there were parts of that game that it just felt like we were completely discombobulated and just didn't look ready to go down there and play a football game. I think that's what made me so sour after, after this Texas loss. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wasn't sure. And I still am not sure watching it. If that reminded me more of 2018 where you just kind of, or 2018 um, Iowa state or 2021 Baylor, you know, in both games we lost in both games. I feel like we kind of knew early I felt like in 2018, hey, like, okay, maybe we maybe we can, you know, stop stepping on ourselves, stop stepping on the rake, stop slipping on the banana peel in the second half, make some adjustments, keep it close, and, you know, we'll eke out of this thing 31-30 with the last second field goal, and it'll just be the where things happen. Last year against Baylor, that the, the team quit, and I hate using that that language and that word, but the team quit. Well, it you know? sure felt like that, yeah. And, yeah. And, and it did. It really felt like, you know, I felt like after that second touchdown, okay, we're probably not going to win this game, but, you know, maybe we can just kind of hold, hold ourselves together. But, like, it felt like the team just kind of, let's get out of this. Yeah. And yeah. last week against Texas – is almost a microcosm of the Neil Brown era in the aspect of you look at it and you go, we lost 38 to 20. They won the second half. They scored touchdowns on two of their three possessions and, you know, they won the second half and all this. But I think it was pretty obvious watching that game that we, we were choosing to get out of that game and end it as quick as we can. You know, yeah, we scored back to back touchdowns, but it took 14 and 10 plays and it took 15 minutes you know, we were running the ball and doing everything we could to basically just shorten the game and go home. So, you know, it kind of, it, it's not so much that you won the game as much as Texas allowed you to just, Hey, I don't care if it takes you 20 plays to go down here and score a touchdown. You're not going to beat us, you know, and, and a win's a win's a win for us. Yeah, I agree. So talk, talking, talking back on this, this defensive discussion the, the we were, we were talking last week on the show, um, you know, one of the worries I think now, as you look ahead to these remaining conference games on defense, it's kind of like you start to get that feeling of these are the guys like you, you don't suddenly, uh, you don't suddenly improve this product on the field by snapping your fingers. Like the, these are your guys, this is who you have. So I think we were talking last week, you start to get concerned 
like, you know, everyone's going to watch, everyone's going to watch these games. Everyone, everybody's going to watch this backup quarterback at Texas look like, you know, Joe Namath now after a week. And, and I would fully expect now teams moving forward to, to come out and attack us in that fashion. Do you, you know, do you think there's anything you do? I don't know, scheme wise that, that, saves you a little bit. I think Guido uh, pointed out maybe a couple shows ago that we thought we could maybe scoot by, by generating enough pass rush to help out this defensive secondary by just generating enough noise up front to kind of give those guys a breather. We haven't really seen that in one or two games now, you know, of, of generating a rush. So I start Grant to worry Wells that, wasn't knocked around at all by yeah, us. Yeah, right. He, you're right. He had time to do whatever. Yeah, he really did. Yeah, and, and when, when you talk about the defense, and especially when you talk about it this year, I think the lack of a pass rush is the biggest single factor on everything. You know, yes, you can point to the fact that the secondary is bad and, you know, we have transfers and they're not doing that stuff, but if you want honestly the single biggest way to improve anything is to generate pressure it, it just is if you force a qb to make a throw before he wants to make it to move his feet and get off a spot before he wants to throw it or to have to throw continuously with someone in his face bad things generally happen for the offense it is the single best way there is no way the giants win two super bowls if they are not generating a pass rush from tom brady daily right (laughs) that's just the way it works and so i don't understand why we continue to only rush three or four and think that these quarterbacks are not capable of finding an open receiver and picking us apart and hitting plays you know so if i were jordan leslie or if i were the defensive coordinator of the mountaineers i would be i'd be sending pressure i would be sending coba on you know, inside and outside blitzes, I would probably move some people around who who are better blitzers, and I would be sending five, six every single play. We're going to play man, we're going to press, and we're going to blitz like heck, and we're going to force you to throw early yeah. and quick, and right. we're not going to, you know, you're not going to get nine seconds, and you're not going to be able to throw the ball 10 yards down the field. You are going to have to throw it short, quick, and fast because we're coming, and we're coming hard. Ultimately... This team feels like it's, to me, it feels like it's a reflection of its coaches, right? I mean, I, I think we're seeing some of their personality. And I, I, not to, I mean, I don't know Jordan Leslie personally, but I, I don't know. He doesn't come across as a fiery guy, whereas we've had guys that are fiery in the past. So, so Scoot, yeah, I, I, I would agree. I feel like, the overall staff is that way. The overall staff is a, we're not going to get too high. We're not going to get too low. Um, you know, everything stays even keeled. And if it were working, that would be fine, but it's not working. And so it's a problem. And, and I think, you know, overall, that's probably the truth of, of everything with this staff and this team is that you can't just say any one thing does or doesn't work because obviously if, the, if they called the plays and they work, we're all happy, you know, but they're calling plays and they're not working and they're not happy. So whatever they're doing is not, not working. I have noticed, I've read it on other places. I've noticed it when I've watched the games that there isn't an energy on the sidelines. You know, when Rich Rod was here and they scored it, that sideline was going crazy. There are, videos when Stewart was was here, you know, and those guys would score and they're chest bumping and, and everything else. And obviously when Dana was here, he's running up and down the sidelines, you know, fist bumping and everything else. And now it just kind of seems like we scored. Cool. Great. Good job. Thanks. You know, like you're, you're 20 years old, man. You just scored a touchdown in college football. Go, go yell, scream and have some fun. And I, and, it seems like that that is missing from the top down. You know, there's no fun. There's no excitement. It's very business. Put your mind, you know, professional. Put your put your head down. Do your job and everything. And unfortunately, it's just it's not translating on the field. You're not seeing a business like approach where we can go out, score points, grind teams out, and win. And you know, yeah, we're the methodical. You know, we, we don't make mistakes. We're Iceman and Top Gun, right? You know. <laughs> he, we're just going to be sound and professional and you're going to make a mistake at some point. Well, that's not us. That's the complete opposite of us. 
Well, that's a great, that's a great point. I actually hadn't thought about that. Scoot, what have, so like we had the juice squad, right? Juice, the juice is, is like the juice squeezed. is not the juice has anymore. Been squeezed, I guess it, <laughs> there's no more juice left or something. I don't know. It, it is, um, it is frustrating for me. I'm, I am Jake. I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but I am like, so if there was a climb, I never really got, I never even like put the harness on. I was always like, maybe <laughs> kind of like, eh, I don't know. You left your and carabiners off. I'm actually never... back at the airport, ready to go back to my, my home. <laughs> like I, I was like, listen, I'm, I'm not staying. And part of it for me is, uh, and I think maybe reading some of your articles and, and seeing some of your conversations on Twitter, like, I think it's, I don't know. I feel like I'm, I know what my eyes see, but I keep being told that my eyes aren't seeing what my eyes see. And that's really frustrating to me because it comes across like I'm an idiot, which I don't need anybody else to confirm that, but it comes across like I'm an idiot and you know way more than I do. Well, but you're because, saying you're being told from the coaching staff is what you're saying. Right, right. And it's frustrating to me to see what we see. And then, like, I think you could look at, I don't know, Neil Brown's had, what, um, close to 45 post-game press conferences. And I think they all sound exactly the same. Win or loss, they're all the exact same thing. The only thing that's sometimes different is he will find some ridiculous thing that had no impact on the game, but he'll complain about a uh, a targeting call or some sort of catch or no catch thing that had no real, like, didn't really determine the outcome of the game, but he's going to get fired up about that because it's an official's problem. It's not a coaching or a preparation problem. It's the, the officials somehow cheated us somewhere along the line. So that's frustrating to me. Yeah. It's, you know, I, I thought up through up two years ago, I thought 19 and 20, I thought his press conferences were good. They were informational. You know, they're kind of bland, which matches his personality a bit, you know, but more so he just, he wasn't going to say anything controversial. There's a lot of coach speak, you know, all that kind of stuff. You started noticing last year, um, and, and I think it really started coming out with the whole Garrett Green issue of, well, he needs to make better reads and he needs to do this. And everyone's going, why in the world does he need to make better reads when your starting quarterback almost gave away the Virginia Tech game? And if your tight end had made a down block like he was supposed to, your running quarterback would have run for 75 yards and would have sealed the game. You know, and then all of a sudden he goes 68 yards against TCU and you pull him and you never play him again. Right, and it, right, and it's, he needs right. to make better reads. So at that point, you started going kind of like you said, my eyes are seeing one thing and you're telling me another. And then you start hearing the, well, guys need to practice better before they play. Well, the guys on the field aren't making plays, you know, like, like what, what, what do these guys do have to do in practice? So. I start, you know, so last year you started kind of seeing like, a, I don't, I don't know if I can believe you as much. And this year, the, the, the video, the, the video kind of, I think really killed any, any hope or, or belief I had because you, you come out and you more or less beg the fans to, Hey, don't give up on us. We're, we're going to do this right. And oh yeah. This was the post backyard the hostage, the hostage yeah, video, the hostage video, <laughs> the ISIS, exactly. the Neil Brown ISIS video. Yeah. You know, and the yes. only thing missing was the gun to the head thing. Right. Um, yeah. oh, that was so awkward. Yes. And then, you know, I felt like after the Kansas game, his press conference that Tuesday, I thought he did a really good job. I thought it sounded a little more, um, personal you know it felt real like you know you kind of come away like you come away with this impression if you just listen to it you know at any one time like he knows what he's talking about he talks about how the the guys need to block here and, they, and if they had taken this step and they had done this you know things wouldn't have happened and you go okay well the guy seems to know his x's and o's he seems to be very technical he seems to have a good idea but then you kind of go well, if you know that, why do your players not know that, especially after four years? Why do they continue to make the same mistakes? Why do they continue to be out of position? So you, you seem to know the stuff, but you can't teach it. And so that's a problem. And then 
you know, like you said, oh, the excuse here, well, the guys didn't do this. And, the, you know, I don't know what targeting is anymore. And I do. And I can tell you every time I watch those plays, I go, yeah, that was targeting. No, that's probably not targeting. No, yeah, that probably wasn't a catch, but they didn't have a great angle. And so this is what it was called on the field. And so that's going to be ruled a catch. Guess what? This one, they had a whole lot better angle. I can see the ball on the ground. It's not going to be a catch. I, I don't need anyone else to tell me that. You know, I've gotten most of those replays right because you kind of go, there it is right there. The ball's on the ground. It's moving. That's going, not going to be a catch. Come back. Not, you know, call on the field was ruled a catch. The, the ball hit the ground, you know, second and 10. And you go, well, I don't know what a catch is. He, he just told you the ball is on the ground. Like, so, yeah, yeah it, I just, I, I think there's more and more of my, my eyes aren't lying to me. And, and when I see it 10, 11, 12, 13 times, I, you know, what you're, t- if you're telling me the opposite of that, but I keep seeing it, you know, why should I believe? You? Well, I think the other thing, Jake, that I, that, that for me is, is the exodus of players over the especially after last season and what i haven't been able to reconcile is those was a lot of defensive secondary guys right and that's where we've had a lot of pain this year is that is that a problem that is a neil brown problem is that a jordan leslie problem like why did those play like is it a shadon brown problem like why do those players leave and put us kind of in the situation that i mean i'm not that's an excuse but did they put us in the situation that we're in? Like if we still had some of those guys, would we be talking today about the problems that we're having? I think the short answer is no. I think if you had Daryl Porter and Tyke Smith and Jackie Matthews and, you know, Josh Chandler, Samito, that you're, you're probably not an Akeem Mesador. You know, this defense is probably a whole lot better. Um, I come from the, the standpoints of, a single player, no, is not a coach's issue, right? You know, players get homesick. They don't fit the program, whatever. Mass exodus are. There's just something that is rotten in Morgantown. There is no reason that multiple starters transfer from a team if there isn't some sort of issue. You know, people will say we can't make a coaching change because players will transfer. And the argument is always they're already transferring. How much more can they transfer? Right. <laughs> right. You see transfers with a coaching change. It, it, it happens, right? Guys commit to a school, but they commit to a coach because their skill set fits whatever that coach does. The new coach wants taller, leaner, longer, faster, bigger, whatever. And they don't fit, so they need to go find a new home. And a lot of times they, they follow the coach or they go to a similar type coach. But that happens in the first year. Maybe you see a little bit in the second year, guys who are on the fence stay and then give you a year, find out, I don't like your style, I don't like your program, or it's not going to fit, I've got one more year, I need to go do what's best for me. You don't see it three, four, five years down the road. You don't see right. that many, right? Yeah. You might... Dana had guys who would transfer who broke team rules or weren't getting playing time, and no one questioned those. No one said the guy, the receiver who was sixth in the depth chart, who saw only saw time against Towson, you know, and never got on the field any other time. No one blamed or said that that was a coach's problem or a player's problem. It's a guy who recognized the issue and is going to either transfer down to D2 or somewhere else so he can get playing time. That stuff happens all the time. We're all okay with that starters don't transfer unless there's something that's the matter and whether it's jordan leslie whether it's shadon brown it ultimately falls on the coach because if it is one of those if it is the defensive coordinator if it is the defensive backs coach if it is the defensive line coach and you're losing guys who are difference makers perhaps you need to find a new coach perhaps you need to find a new defensive line coach because if if they're running players off that are making plays you got a problem yeah, that's a good segue, I think. <laughs> I think that's a good segue. Do you do you feel that Neil Brown maybe has a loyalty issue? I'm I'm sure he does. And you know, it makes sense for him because these are guys that he won with at Troy, right? He's going, I've won ten games. I won thir- I was thirty one and nine or whatever he was, you know, in those three years before he got hired. So it makes sense and, and I'm sure they're good coaches. I'm sure that they they know the technical aspect of coaching. You know, it's not like they hired me or, or someone else off the street who's never been a coach before and said, you know, come teach these 22-year-old college kids how to, 
how to defend a 300 pound lineman, you know, swim technique or whatever. But I think we can all recognize that there are tiers and levels of, of talent and some guys may be a good G5 coach or maybe good at one area and it doesn't translate to another. Um, you know, from where I, I'm an engineer and we, I've worked in places where this guy was really good in this market and this sector. And when he tried to come over and talk to another architect or another engineer or something, they just didn't mesh. And so you kind of had to pull him away and say, you know, you, you kind of stay in your lane and stay in your crowd and don't come over here. And that might be the issue is that they're not able to connect to these, you know, Northeast football players, you know, without looking, I don't know where some of their backgrounds are, but if they're from the Southeast and they're used to a certain type of football player and relate to them a certain way, they may not be able to relate to these Northeast guys or whatever it is, but they're not getting it done. There's too many issues and you can't, ultimately it's going to cost him his job. It is going to cost Neil Brown his job if he's unwilling to make changes at this at, at his secondary coaching level. You know, if he's not willing to get rid of some of these coaches, you could see it ultimately costing him the, the ability to coach the Mountaineers. Well, and we had said on last week's show too, Jake, that's like Yeah, we were debating point, like, that. Yeah. Like does Neil Brown like does Neil Brown sacrifice for lack of a better term, Jordan Leslie right now, in the middle of the season, to try to better his position when it comes to the end of the season. Like at some point, I would think as a head coach, you've got to try to position yourself too. And I don't know if he's thinking about that part of it either. Well, and we debated that too, because we likened it to bringing Graham Harrell in on the offensive side after getting some heat on, you know, offensive play calling and offensive performance. I think people, even before Graham Harrell, now he had his own. I don't know where that heat's coming from. Deggy was prolific. <laughs> Diggy was prolific. <laughs> well, I think people even before, you know, JT Daniels and and Graham Harrell's system and everything got going here this season, a lot of people were kind of giving Coach Brown credit. And I think I did too. Like, okay, look, he's making an effort, taking some action here to address what he's getting some criticism on and what is recognized as a as a pain point. I think we were debating last week don't you think it would behoove him to do the same here on the defensive side? And we couldn't, we never really came to an agreement on whether we thought that would happen or not. I'm not sure it does. I don't think it does. Typically when you see this, you've got a guy who has either won and is sliding down and now needs to to save his job, you know, by showing the change or you've got a new guy and this is his first time. And I don't really think Neil, falls into either category because I think four years is a little too late in the process. You know, you kind of saw with with Dana, and I, I apologize to people to continually bring him up, but he was the last coach, so he's the most recent. But, you know, he had Joe DeForest, and that didn't work, and he got uh, – There's a name. Oh, my gosh, know. there's a name. <laughs> and then he had Keith Patterson, and he was better, but he still wasn't working. And I, I would probably argue that the Patterson thing was more youth than – um, talent. I, you know, I think if Patterson had stayed another year, he probably has similar, similar success to Gibson. I don't know that he, you know, beats Baylor in 2014, but I think you could probably see, you know, similar success because Gibson got the benefit of having juniors and seniors on his defense where the other guys didn't. So, but Dana, to his credit, Joe, Joe E. Forrest, because we, we never played D with him. Um, he sacked him after one year and he was moved to special teams. Um, Keith Patterson, same thing, didn't work. You're gone, right? He immediately and quickly recognized there was an issue and we moved. And Neil is now in his fourth year. So it's not first or second year trying to, hey, look, I'm trying to find the right thing. I'm trying to find the right fit. And ultimately, I think if he were to sack Jordan Leslie today and name somebody the defensive coordinator <laughs> that's the and, that's the concern is who would it be uh, right. you look at the rest of that coaching staff you're like uh could we go with the secondary coach mm, probably shouldn't do that <laughs> should we look at i don't know where you go so that's a good question and so if you sack jordan leslie and it doesn't work i think it cost him his job anyway you know 
I came into the season saying we needed to win seven games. I came into the season saying that at a minimum, we need to win. We need to be seven and five going into a bowl. And I can forgive you if you lose a bowl, if you go seven and five, you know, but at least you finally proved that we're a little bit better than what we were. Um, and I remember talking and asking and trying to find out we have a five-star quarterback and we have all of this experience and talent returning. Why is the ex- why, why is even my expectation seven wins? Like, why is that not eight? Yeah, nine, that's fair. Ten, right. Ten wins. Right. And, you know, some of it was there's still an experience and there's the strength of schedule and whatever, whatever the, the excuses and the reasons were. And, you know, I never really got a good feeling or answer as to why seven wins was you know, acceptable, but it was acceptable. Right. And I think we can all argue it probably more was the fact that we had never reached seven wins. So you can just reach seven wins. We'd all be happy at this point. Um, but, you know, you come in and you say seven wins and I mean, well, I seriously doubt we're getting to seven wins. And so even if you were to fire the defensive coordinator and he goes five and seven, I don't think it's enough. I just, you know, at this point, it's all a referendum on him. It's it's all on his head. And, you know, whatever changes you make need to quickly turn the ship around and write it. And they have to be the right ones. And I think there's just not enough time anymore. Like, you know, at this point you're, you're using a spoon to get the, the water out of the, the ship and it's just not enough. <laughs> Seven wins would require you to win three in a row. <laughs> yes. And, and we've yet to do that 40 games in. Well, and so Guido, that kind of brings us back to where we were last week. Cause Jake's right now, each, each weekend, each, each Mountaineer game day weekend feels like a referendum on the head coach. And we were debating last week, you know, what, we had chosen five and seven. Scoot went four and eight at the beginning of the season when we were trying to suss out where we thought the the team would would land. And we thought at the time, even if that happened, at least I recall us saying, I'm not really sure that costs him his job because of things that are locked in place and you know the famous extension that's out there. And so we were we've been debating. And I, I don't know. I that's what I was gonna ask Jake too. I feel like to me, it's still up in the air. If you, if you limp this to six and six or even five and seven, like how we were kind of talking last week, how, how bad does it have to go before something is, is done? Cause I don't think it's our nature, uh, just as WVU, I don't think it's our nature. You know, if, if he limps this to six and six, maybe even five and seven, I'm not sure that I'm not sure that there's any change made. Well, and, and, and even from a, the standpoint of the college, like, WVU's been pretty tight-lipped about what their feelings are about the situation right now. And, you know, there have been some press releases from Shane Lyons that have been, you know, oh, we're monitoring the situation kind of yeah. top, you know, <laughs> right. putting it. Yes. But, like, yeah, it doesn't – I mean, I don't know where this college would be on this. Like, I, there's part of me that truthfully believes, Jake. There's part of me that believes we finish with three wins this season. They might bring him back next season to coach again. I really believe that that might happen. <laughs> I, I read I read some stuff and you know I, I myself have been trying to figure that out you know where where's that where's that this is unacceptable line right where, where's the you, you fell off the cliff and I've heard um, that yeah five and seven might they might bring him back and you know it, it's a well you didn't quite get it done and, and whatever the reasons are and I, I myself would say if you finish below six and six you're done. I mean, personally, I'm probably done right now, but to be, you know, don't fire in midseason because I don't know that it changes anything and, and whatever. So, but I, I think you, you, you have to be a bowl team. What, like West Virginia is the 14th winningest, you know, football program in, in division one. And we're talking about being under 500 three out of four years. And that's acceptable. And we're going to allow that like that, right. that, that just right. can't happen. I- so. That drives me insane because I think the apologists say, well, you know, he's had a lot of a lot of uphill battles and it's, you know, hard to recruit to West Virginia. Like hasn't been for forty I'm, years. I'm tired of hearing all of that stuff. Like enough is enough. Stop. I said I had a what was my saying, Johnson? Um, um what was your saying, Scoot? It was T shirt worthy. Yeah, instead of <laughs> um getting no, instead of getting what you deserve, you should deserve 
what you should get. Something about getting and deserving things. <laughs> it was great. Yes. He it was remember, but it was it, great. It, it, it did was, have a lot of getting and deserving. I there think was some, there was some I think des- your point. I think your point being, like West Virginians deserve better. Stop like, settling stop, for this. Yeah, second. Stop selling yourself short. Like, yeah. Enough with well, we're just West Virginia. Like you're a Power Five school. Like other Power Five. Kansas State expects things from their head coach. Why shouldn't we? Yep. You always go after Kansas State. You oh, always go after yeah. Kansas State. It's Kansas. And that was the reason why we wanted every everybody was like, oh, we got to get rid of Bill Stewart because he's not a real head coach and we need a real head coach. And and look where we're at now. Like uh we've got a guy who throws I mean, good Bill pool Stewart parties. had a better winning record than than, than Neil Brown did. Plays hillbilly yeah, golf I, with the fellas. He's got yeah, like you said, he's got a good cannonball into his pool. He I mean, does. I think Jake, the you know, is the twenty is the is the twenty million dollar buyout is that what stops WVU? Is it a money thing? Is it uh is it uh what what stops them from doing it at this point? I, I don't. I think they don't want to admit it, but I'm sure that it does. Um, so let's talk about the buyout real quick before we get into it. So you know, there's I. If, if you talk to me about the buyout on Twitter, I will ad nauseum talk about this, and I apologize if you followed me and and I. You, you know what I'm about to say, but the, so the buyout is nothing more than just salary payments. He is owed $20 million from now through January 26 or through December, 2026. And his buyout is nothing more than this is what we owe you. You signed a contract. We're willing to honor it. You're going to get this money. And so every single two weeks or whatever his pay schedule is, the, the buyout goes down because I mean, it works out to something like, $9,900 a day. So every day it drops by $9,900. Um, it's not a, not a bad gig. No. no. You know, so, <laughs> no. so, and, and, and if they chose to fire him today, he's owed something like 17 and a half million dollars, roughly talking. And so he's going to get that money. Like he's, it's fully guaranteed to him, but it's paid to him over the life of the contract. So he, he's getting that as a salary payment. He's getting $9,900. $100 a day, you know, as a salary payment, it, it's not owed. He's not owed $17.5 million today. He's not owed it in 30 days. He is, it's just a payment. It's just whatever they, they've already committed to. Um, if he goes and takes another job, then whatever he's owed is less salary. So say he goes back to just talking purposes, he goes back to Troy and signs a, a $4 million deal. So now that 17 becomes 13. Right. So if he wants that money up front, if he says, you know what, you fired me, you hurt my family, you hurt my feelings, you know, my family is deserved more, whatever, whatever the reasons are. And he wants that money up front. He is uh, he is going to negotiate some sort of reduced settlement. He's, he's going to call J.G. Wentworth and go get a, you know, a reduced settlement here. Um, and if it's. <laughs> 75 percent you know just pulling the number out of the air if it's 75 percent then he's a he gets a buyout of 12 million so i'm sure there's just the I, I think it's more the optics than it is the numbers i'm sure that they have the money in the coffers i'm sure that they have the ability to go you know jingle some purses and find the money i think there is a part of well if we do that who are we beholden to you know if i go ask somebody for 12 million dollars they want something in return maybe they want to pick the next coach maybe they want their name on something you know maybe they want a guarantee on where their money goes whatever um so i think there's some of that uh i think it's more of egg on the face they don't want to admit a mistake you know to his credit neil brown checks if there are a lot of boxes a head coach needs to check, and he checks a ton of them. He unfortunately is not checking the single one, the the single big box that says win, right? <laughs> right. Yes, he right. No, he's a very well. good ambassador for the university. I mean, he he does. You're right. He does those things. Yeah. Oh, by the way, we just need you to win a few games while you're doing those other things. Yes. Yeah, I and and I think there there is at least some belief that. If we just give him a little bit more time, he can figure this out. Because to the credit, he's not far off, but we haven't been far off for four years. And, you know, I think what's hurting him and what is starting to come around is that it doesn't take four years to turn a program around. 
It didn't take Lance Leopold four years to turn Kansas around. It didn't take Sonny Dykes four years to turn TCU around. Steve Sarkeesian has Texas, you know, up and down the roster. There are coaches who are winning in their first, second, or third year, and we continue to hear the same mistakes, the same, you know, excuses, the same reasons as to why it just it doesn't apply at West Virginia and it, it doesn't fly anymore. You just can't say, hey, well, he had – COVID or, or the first excuse was, well, he didn't recruit. It wasn't his players in 2019. He came in late. Right. Hey, Cupboard what? was every, there. Yeah. Cupboard was every there. coach that came in in 2019 had the same issue. And, you know, the cover, the cupboard was in, I've always argued the cupboard is inexperienced. It wasn't bare. It was young, but a bare cupboard to me is 50 players. And, you know, you're trying to figure out how to make a two deep. And that wasn't the case. You know, he had a full roster. He just had a very young roster, and that's fine. Play them all, do whatever, you know, no red shirts, everyone gets experience, and then, oh, well, he had to deal with COVID. Hey, guess what? Everyone had to deal with COVID, and honestly, that was one I think he mismanaged. I would have played every single player every single game. I wouldn't have cared about the record. I would have done what I could to get as many players playing for the simple fact that they came out and said, hey, this isn't going to be used against you. So guess what? Everyone's going to play. Everyone's going to get experience. We're going to come into 2021 with 100% returning production because guess what? Every single person on this roster, you know, saw time. And then and then it became, well, you know, that hurt recruiting. It didn't, it didn't hurt in other places. Like every excuse you hear is not singly – a reason for West Virginia. It's not like right. West Virginia existed in this 2019, 2020 COVID bubble. Right. You know, no one else did. Everyone yeah. else had the same issues and yeah. other people found ways to do it. We're not so, operating in a vacuum. Yes. Everyone's exactly. dealing. I don't know the answer to this question. I'm going to ask a question. I don't know the answer to, which is I should never do. Who was the last WVU coach to be fired? I mean, I guess you could argue Bill Stewart, but he really wasn't right. He wasn't officially fired. He stepped down and that was, like who was the last WV? When was the last time WVU let a coach like go? Like f- literally, like we cease your contract because Dana wasn't fired. That was just we're not renewing your contract. The uh, you know Stu we just talked about uh, Rod Richrod. You know, then you're all the way back to Neil Neilan. I mean like Bobby Bowden. No, Bowden went to. Uh... He left. Or he chose to leave. Yeah, he I want to say leave. it's probably Signetti. It's probably Signetti. Yeah, I'm gonna look really quick too. That's um, what forty years you're talking about. We haven't fired a coach. Yeah, that's the part. Like this is where Scoot goes. Like with this stuff is like, it's it's WVU. It's it's West Virginia. Like let's just talk about like yeah. He West was Virginia fired. Guido. He was fired. Yeah, after so Frank the seventy nine season. Yeah. yeah. And what was his record? Um, he was seventeen and twenty-seven as WVU's coach. And what's Neil's nineteen and nineteen? Nineteen and twenty-one. Twenty-one. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Interesting. So he's going to lose a <laughs> many, couple more games. How many wins? Frank, close. How many wins did Frank close. Signetti have against winning teams? That's a question. Uh, I don't because <laughs> I know what Neil's got. I wonder, I wonder how many times he won three in a row, though. Yeah, did he win three in a row? In I don't know. Like, I'm gonna look honestly, it may not have even been Signetti because he was diagnosed with cancer, and I can't. I don't know if that was a mutual parting or you know health reasons or that's whatever. That's true. Yeah, that's so true. It, it, it has certainly been a while. Stewart's probably the the most accurate because he was supposed to be coaching waiting, which was a you get one more year before you're fired, you know. And then yeah. he he did some dirty stuff, and and that was a an unceremonious parting. Um, but yeah, West Virginia doesn't typically fire coaches. They don't, they certainly don't fire coaches mid season. You know, they're not hasty in their decisions. So I think there's a lot of that going on. Um, and I think there's a lot of, we don't want to admit we made a mistake. We want to give this guy one more chance. You know, we're, 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 if we can just turn the corner, you know, it'll be fine. I just, my, my big fear in this hat started last year. And I think it's built to a point this year that it is, not going to go away is unless this team rattles off seven, six or seven wins, you know, and gets to seven and five that you come back next year with a coach who's under 500, four years into his tenure, who's never won three in a row, who continues to make 
mistake after mistake after mistake after mistake that I, I'm not excited about next year. Like if we come back, at, if we bring this guy back at five and seven, do I really want to sit through this again when our first game is Penn State and then we play Pitt and, you know, potentially we, we get to see Dana come to to Morgantown and you know Dana's going to be looking at his chops looking to, to, <laughs> to put 75 on us. Oh, yeah. And do I sure. really want to go through that as a fan? Do I really want to sit here well, and support and, somebody who, who just isn't getting it done? At what point does that really affect recruiting? Right. I mean, I would think recruits are gonna be like, listen, I, you know, I was looking for progress as well and I'm not seeing it. And I think that's going to be a big time uh, recruiting tool for other schools. Like, listen, you want to go to, to this place with this guy? He hasn't won three in a row. Yeah, I, I agree. Scoot. And, and Jake, too, from the money perspective, you're paying him a lot of money right now. Like for all the people that are like, hey, you can't fire him. You got to pay him a lot of money. Well, you're paying him a lot of money right now. And this is the value for money that you're getting. So I think to me, that's the argument I don't understand. Like you're currently paying him a lot of money. So yeah, and and that's kind of been my my stance. Uh, you know, I was discussing it with someone on Twitter who said, you know, if you fire him, you, you have the buyout and you have to pay this money. And my argument was, you got to pay him anyway. Uh, you know, do I really want to pay a guy for non-results? You know, paying this guy is the literal definition of doing nothing right right you're, you're paying this guy and you know what you're going to get and it should not be enough so just the money shouldn't be an issue it should never be an issue and if it is an issue that is a different conversation that needs to be had by people yeah. much smarter right. in higher places than me yeah um and and so it's one that i've never really considered you know it's one of those where if we truly gave a guy a contract that we couldn't the very next day say, you know what, we changed our minds, goodbye, that's a really bad look. Yeah. Yep. And that's on us then. I mean, then mm-hmm. that's yeah, then right. that's our fault. And Scoot, uh, Frank Signetti won four in a row in 1979. Ooh. So there you so there you go. <laughs> well, if you if you are wondering, it's just keeps proving just my keep thought. Go. Correct. I the next thing you're going to find out Johnson for next week's show is when was the who was the last coach to not win three in a row in WVU. Uh Jake, you know, so what, seven games left? Uh you know, I know you don't you're not a fortune teller, you can't see the future. I did last year. <laughs> I, well, and listen, Scoot will tell you how great he is too. Uh, where does this? How does this end for WVU? Where do we finish? Uh, I uh, right now I'm saying four and eight. Um, I think the bigger issue right now is I, I thought last year you could fix the offense that there were. It was it's easier to fix the offense than the defense. Um, we still have to play Texas Tech, who's a top twenty passing offense we still have to play tcu who's a top 20 passing offense we still have to play oklahoma state who's a top 20 passing offense you know there are just way too many good quarterbacks and good offenses in the big 12 that i don't see the the secondary improving i don't see the current offense being capable of scoring every time they go out and so I, i think four and eight is out there you know who they beat, I can't tell you because right now we're not favored in any game. And, you know, I can't I can't foresee that we're going to play Iowa State and that's going to be the game that Iowa State just absolutely refuses to get out of their own way like Virginia Tech did. Or, you know, this is the year that we beat Oklahoma because I think you can make an easy argument that any team left on our schedule is capable of beating us. Yeah. I think we are capable of scoring points on any team but I fear that you've got the issue of the first time we don't score an offense, that is a score for the other team. Yeah, And right. so, great, we scored on seven of ten possessions, and the other team scored on all ten. The Ollie yeah, meter. We're talking about it's it. The Ollie, Ollie, meter. The Ollie We've meter. been talking yeah. about the Ollie meter. Yeah, every time we see Ollie out there punting, then that's a that's a move in the wrong direction for sure. La- last week, last week we had the Ollie meter set at three and a half. We said if more than more than three and a half punts, WVU doesn't have a chance. Well, and Guido, didn't we didn't we go screaming past our Ollie meter over oh, under yeah. like first by half? half I think first half. Yeah, yeah that, that, first that half. felt bad. That felt really yeah. bad. 
I mean, I think the Ollie meter this week. I, I mean, I'll set it. Uh, I mean, I'll set it at two and a half this week against Baylor. Like, I think that's like you can't have him out there all the time punting. You get if you're not score if you're not if you're not putting points up, even if it's three points, you got to put points up. You know. I do want to talk about this Baylor game though. Okay. I want to get everyone's prognostication because I think it's interesting. I'm going to be controversial. Oh, geez. Because we were talking about it before we got on the show. We were talking about it before we got on the show. The spread came out, started at two and a half, and went to three and a half in favor of Baylor, which I thought was surprising. Weird. I, yeah. I, yeah. Uh, and the over-unders, 54 and a half on it. Uh, I, I, just, I guess I assumed Baylor was going to come out at least a touchdown favorite in this game. And uh, – Seeing it at three and a half, I was I was kind of surprised, Johnson. Yeah, I I definitely was. But then, so the I think we should do what we normally do here, Guido. We should each give okay. our predictions for this for this upcoming game, I, include Jake's, and then we can okay. kind of look back and see how wrong I was because I already feel <laughs> like I'm going to be controversial and wrong. But I'll so I I guess I'll go first since I'm the one bringing it up. I think I think this Baylor game. So when we did our preseason picks, I immediately was like Baylor loss. I mean, I just went right, put, I just slid that right over in the loss column. The, the interesting thing about these Baylor bears is that I I know they, they were, so they were ranked. I can't remember off the top of my head if they're still in the, in the rankings right now. I think they fell out. Um, They lost a decent game to Oklahoma state last time out i think oklahoma state's a little better than even people think to be honest um but i think baylor is not setting the world on fire from an offensive standpoint and i think it's a night game in morgantown i think weird stuff could happen and i'm actually gonna pick scooch you're not gonna like this i'm actually gonna say I'm actually going to say the Mountaineers steal a win against Baylor in this upcoming game. I'm going to say 24-21 WVU. Wow. Uh, Scoot, I'll let you go. What's your opinion on this Um, game? um, My opinion is, uh, what did Bart Scott say about uh, they couldn't stop a nosebleed? Um, (laughs) Something like that. I I think we're going to lose. Uh, I picked this as a loss. Um, and I think sometimes I'll go back to my old adage. Sometimes the matchups just aren't great. Like I, we see it more so in basketball than you do football, but in football, Oklahoma state, we can't seem to beat them for anything. So I also feel like we struggle at times with Baylor. We did last year. I'm going to go. Um, uh, I, I think Baylor scores 42 and we score. 24 you think you think baylor's putting up 42 yes wow yes all right okay and and i'm gonna i'm gonna take scoot and double down on it here's here's the thing johnson i mean i appreciate this is gonna i mean if it goes your way here and you guys aren't even (laughs) thinking about it the rope's been uh it's down in jacksonville it's uh it's it's strike the stadium is that is that what it is on uh, Thursday night? Uh, they always, always do that. Yeah. Don't they? they always yeah. try to stripe yeah. that stadium. Striping the stadium, but I think it's going to be really hard to stripe the stadium with uh, forty two thousand allegedly sold tickets. Is going to be my guess, um, and uh, I think it'll look a pretty empty striped stadium uh, on national television, Fox Sports One. Baylor right now averaging this season points per game thirty seven and a half. So I'm going to tell you right now if they're averaging thirty seven and a half. They're putting 48 on WVU, and uh, I, I'll go with you, Scoot, in the sense I think WVU does what they've been doing, which is they'll score two or three touchdowns in the second half after being down by four touchdowns in the first half, and uh, it'll be like 48, uh, you know, I'll go 24 with you. I'll, 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 I'll go on that 24. I like it. So. No faith. I, I'm just. I'm. You guys I'm not, I have. Listen. You've lost all faith. Is what you're saying. My faith. My faith went out the door. Well, it was like. Uh, it was like poking its head out the door. Did it, did it go with your Jarrett Deggy jersey? <laughs> it did go with my Jarrett Deggy did you, jersey. Did you said you said you were going to get one. It was poking its head out the door during the Virginia Tech game, and then and then Grant Wells was like, "Oh, just stay inside for a little bit. It's warm. You'll be fine." And then we played Texas, and I'm like, "I'm done. I'm out." Jake, what do you think? Like, I, I mean. Baylor game. 
so uh, while you guys were talking, I was just kind of looking things up, and it is amazing to me how similar Baylor is to West Virginia across the board. So, you know, just a real quick, Baylor scores 37 a game, we score 38 a game. Uh, total yards, Baylor's 436, we're 454. Baylor's 248 a game passing, we're 268 a game passing. They're 187 a game rushing, we're 186 a game rushing. You know, they allow 223 through the air, we allow 230. They allow 96 on the ground, we allow 100. So it, across the board, it, like we're the same. And I even went further, sacks per game, they're two, we're two. You know, turnover margin, they're minus one. We're like, like it, across the board, it's the same. And the one major difference that I could find was Baylor gives the ball away a little bit more, but they take the ball away a little bit more. And the one thing we don't do is generate any sort of takeaways. So I'm feeling Baylor. Um, it's probably a higher scoring game. I think it may be something like 38-31, 38-35. Uh, but I've got Baylor in this game um, just because I think there's a critical turnover somewhere, a fumble, a interception, a tipped pass, something that goes against us because the we, we don't generate anything. We don't do anything to generate turnovers. We don't do anything to generate negative plays, and, and Baylor does on the whole. I think the other thing that, that scares me is the one major difference. Baylor gives up 20 points a game. We give up 30. So the difference being across the board, Baylor has a little bit better defense. They are similar in offense, and we are missing our best running back. I've got Baylor. Yeah, that that running back situation is is by and large, I think, a big reason why our rushing has been so good. And again, I I will say what I said last week. I think we've gotten a little predictable in how we were marshalling out some of those running backs and and you know this guy gets this series this guy gets the next series and justin johnson always gets the third offensive series for whatever reason that is yeah it's different without that that thunder you've got lightning but you don't have that thunder anymore so it'll be interesting to see how that negates some of our rushing attack well and cj donaldson officially ruled out for this baylor game doesn't help right so right i don't know we'll see i i keep i'm I'm hoping that they that they find a way like, uh, you know, they they are not shy about just handing the ball to JT Daniels and saying, hey, you need to just sling it around until we figure something out. Um, I'm hoping he's able to do that on, on a night game. Maybe find some maybe find a little magic here, Scoot. No, for your reputation as a prognosticator, as a prognosticator. you are hoping that. Yes. Yes. Help me. Yes help you jake thanks so much for being on man thanks we kept you a little longer than we said we would we appreciate you hanging out with us as always uh, i appreciate it as always guys it's always good to have somebody smarter than us on the show it's always well then why are you inviting me <laughs> <laughs> i'm surprised you guys were able to talk you and johnson with aren't, aren't you a braves fan jake i am a braves fan and johnson is a new a newfound mets fan so i'm surprised there was no animosity the mets game just went final they were one hit yeah. By the Padres. Feels bad. Feels, Feels bad. bad. Feels bad. Listen, if you get a chance, make sure you check Jake out. He uh, writes for SmokyMusket.com. Great place to go read articles. Jake, put you. what do you put out? Two, three articles a week, right, buddy? Yeah, something like that. I usually put out uh, something. I usually do a, a, game, a, a more in-depth game recap, let's call it that. Um, usually on Sundays, I'll do a Big 12 recap on Sundays. I try to cover Neil's press conference, and if the mood suits me, I will put – something that I found interesting or some stat that gave me pause to talk about. Um, the big thing I'm all, I'm very proud of is I have been doing the uniforms now for several years. And <laughs> at some point I get them right. Um, you know, and at some point we're going to wear more gold. So <laughs> <laughs> more gold, hashtag more gold. And also check him out on Twitter at Nightstare. Uh, Jake uh, will answer your questions on Twitter. Uh, maybe sometimes a little surly, but he will answer them. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, so definitely check him out. Uh, guys, thanks for listening this week. Uh, we'll be back next week uh, with another show. And uh, don't forget, find us online. Look for us on Instagram and Twitter at Got Your Ears. And uh, also check out our website, GotYourEarsOn.com. John, it's sort of like the hub of everything, right? Yeah, that's right. We'll post uh, this show in blog form as soon as we're done here. We'll have the, the link to tune in right on the page. And if you feel compelled to do it, click through to the merch store and uh, get yourself some GYEO merch. It's all right there. GotYourEarsOn.com. Yeah, check it out. And uh, don't forget, check out WVU this week playing Baylor Thursday night on Fox Sports 1. That's a 7 p.m. kickoff uh, at Milan Pushkar Stadium. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll be back next week with another show. You've been listening to Got Your Ears On.